that's the most important part of data and presentation and visualization is it's it's a gateway to a conversation that could lead to either an answer or an action item. So I think that's always and I and I think the transition between sports is great because it gives you a broader scope because you might find certain things from one sport actually translate really well to another sport that people aren't even looking at or thinking about. And I think it's so important. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. For this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast, I am speaking to Tofi Ziemnicki, who is Head of Sports Science at Team Builder. And the reason I wanted to get Tofi on the podcast was his unique perspective on what's going on in the industry. And I think coaches who have transitioned into these type of roles with sports tech companies get such a 360 view of what's going on because they dip it in and out of organizations probably get asked loads of questions about what everyone else is doing and offer solutions and comparisons of of what's good practice and what practice could be improved. So in this episode, we have a little chat around particular gaps that exist in small organizations that could easily be filled and also gaps that often exist in larger organizations that could easily be filled. Then we have a little chat around building sports science departments for small organizations like high schools or private facilities and then bigger organizations, NFL teams, Premier League teams, etc. And really dive into and hone in on Tofi's experiences. So this is a really unique episode, but I'm sure it'll be one you really enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode is also sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Plays Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. 
Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK Lab of the Year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. So without further ado, over to the episode with Tofi Ziemniki. Tofi, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. So the relationship with Team Builder is a relatively new one from a Sportsmith standpoint, but it's been it's been great so far. You guys have supported the podcast, but also, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you're supporting the, the Speed Conference that's coming up in the UK in, a, in a five or six weeks. Yeah, that's exciting. I and think it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, at the time of recording, we've got a couple of tickets left, so it'll 100% be sold out from, from people across the UK and Europe, which has been a big surprise for me. People from countries that like Slovakia and Lithuania and Norway and like wild countries that are, that are bringing coaches along. So yeah, should be great. But on that, it's great to get you on because I think, and I was probably in a not as, not as higher position as you were at Team Builder, but I was in a very similar position to you when I was at Catapult in 2016-17. And I think the, the real positive that someone like you, sorry, the, the real insight that someone like you in your position can give is that you're speaking to people every day. You're seeing lots of different programs. Whether you've been asked to or not, you're probably, you have an opinion on what they're doing and what they can do better. And you, and like you said on the email, you're being asked, what are other people doing? Which is what we used to get, always get asked. So I think this is a really interesting podcast because you can give that kind of more global view of what's going on out there but just before we do would you mind just giving us a bit of a an intro to you what you've done before team builder um yeah that'd be a good place to kick off yeah definitely so before team builder i've been in, uh, at team builder since april so we're going up on a year pretty soon here uh before that i was at yale university for uh a little over five years as a an assistant strength coach uh started out in the summer of 2017 as an intern Worked my way all the way kind of through the ranks. So as a, as a part-time to a full-time assistant, uh, working with anywhere from seven teams at a time, you know, helping out with the football team as well, uh, just kind of the nature of the beast at that level. But uh, f- during my time there, I kind of fell into data analytics and then the sports science world. Uh, and I kind of give credit to my director at the time, Tom Newman, Tom Newman for pushing me in that direction. And it, I kind of just like, I guess fell, like I said, fell into it and I, I hit the ground running with it. And in time at Yale, I was able to kind of set up quite a few dashboards, visualizations or uh, fatigue monitoring processes that they still use today. Um, so in, in my work there, uh, I kind of got in talks with, with Hewitt at Team Builder and he said, you know, I think someone with your skill set would be, would be great to bring along. So uh, ever since April, I've been working with uh, anywhere from, private facilities to some professional organizations uh, working with their sports science program, if they have one, if not kind of just working with individual coaches on like how they can set up uh, some basic, you know, analytics department within their setting. So that's kind of just a brief overview of what I've done for the past like six years. Yeah. Interesting. I think 
it's and it's a common comparison that I I use and and speak to the people who've been on the podcast is this kind of sports science um, background infrastructure in the UK, and we're used to that term sports science because most people have gone through sports science degrees and use that as the foundation to go to into strength and conditioning, into psychology and nutrition or whatever it is. Whereas that's slightly different in the US from what I believe and my perception, where it's flipped when it comes to the kind of more coaching aspect of, of our industry. So with that said, and I've probably asked this a couple of times over the last few years, so it's interesting to see how it kind of morphs and develops. What, How are people viewing sports science over in the US, what is what is sports science to the kind of the general masses within our industry? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I, I think looking at kind of how it's done and scaled in Europe, I think much more ahead of the curve, right? It's I think it's been around a little bit longer for sure. It's been kind of like a staple and a lot of industries or sectors use a sports scientist and it's like that's kind of their sole role almost. It seems like in the US it's becoming to the point in the past like year and a half, two years where there are like a dedicated sports scientist at some levels, right? Where it's just that that's their job description. That's what they do. They work on all things tech, load monitoring, and any sort of kind of uh, identifiers within that organization um, regarding that sport. So that's like kind of their sole job. And I think that's been heavily used in the past couple of years, or it's kind of slowly becoming more and more prevalent, I should say. Um, At the F at the college level and the high school level, you're starting to see a lot of coaches take on the role as well. So it's almost like a dual role. Um, I think most people come up through the ranks right now as a strength coach or as an exercise scientist, uh, where they go from a lab setting to an applied setting, um, utilizing data and a little bit more hands-on uh, and a little hands-on approach. So it's almost as if it's kind of reversed, right? Uh, where you go through sports science courses and then branch off from there. Here at the U.S., it, it started out as just strength and conditioning. People started to morph into a sports scientist role. People saw the value in it, and people are becoming more dedicated as a sports scientist. So I think the transition is is happening to where there's a dedicated sports scientist on staff regularly at some levels, and I think it's only going to kind of grow in the United States and look probably similar to similar to what it is in uh, the European countries right now, so. That's interesting. So what, as people and coaches transition into that more sports science role, what do you think the gaps are that they need to plug to be able to fill that successfully? And it's probably a loaded question because I've got that in my head and I'm from the Sportsmith kind of education side and online courses and conferences. I'm wanting to help those people make that transition into a sports science role, especially in the US, even younger practitioners here in the UK. So for lots of different reasons, I'm interested in what you think. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, one thing that I kind of noticed uh, in my time in uh, the education setting, so I don't have necessarily a traditional background when it comes to uh, education uh, through the strength and conditioning kind of like uh, pipeline, let's say. Uh, I started out as a psychology major. I wanted to go and go into research particularly. Uh, so my background had a lot of stats, had a lot of you know data-heavy uh, sets, but I did a master's in exercise science, and that ended up kind of showcasing to me that there wasn't a lot of math or you know getting your hands dirty with numbers and utilizing any sort of statistical analysis pieces in 
um, that master's program. And maybe that's just the case for that program itself, right? But looking back and having, you know, the internship that, uh, that we had at Yale, we got a lot of exercise science majors and a lot of people didn't know how to utilize any sort of statistical analysis software, whether it be Google Sheets, SPSS, like R, whatever it may be, people didn't really have that background to be able to make that transition to sports science if they felt it was necessary, if it was something they were interested in. So they got a lot of applied or, you know, textbook knowledge of this is what strength and conditioning is, but there wasn't, uh, there wasn't, this piece of statistical analysis and maybe they took one stat class and like you know maybe going through college if they don't they're like I'm, i want to be a coach or i want to go into like this i don't really need stats right so i think there's a big there's a big gap in the education system that doesn't have and maybe it's been filled recently right because i've you know i'm six seven years out of college now but um from my time to working with interns at yale for five years um, it seemed like there was a big gap in people's understanding of statistical analysis or just using any sort of software to process information. So I think that's like the biggest gap because at the end of the day, you know, if you're trying to become an applied sports scientist in a setting, you're going to have to, you're going to run into the analysis of numbers, right? Like this just is what it is, right? Like that's, that's the job title. <laughs> so it's your, your ability to understand information, process the information and problem solve for the coaches that you're going to be visualizing the information for. And if you can't, you know, if you're not even at brick one to like understand the information, it's really hard to make the jump to two and three. Right. So I think the big gap is just the understanding of statistical analysis or just data presentation in general. Do you think there's a, there's a bit of a reluctance from maybe, maybe I'm going to say the older generation of strength coach, but probably any generation of strength coach, to take on board what, exactly what you've just said, the need to be able to understand numbers. Like, you wear an Apple Watch, you're getting data. You're wearing Whoop, you're getting data. You're using VBT, you're getting lots of data. Then you jump into GPS, you're getting lots of data. So if, even if the strength coach is gym-based, there's still numbers, there's still RPEs, there's still wellness questionnaires, there's still jump data, like... The understand be able to understand the data that coaches are collecting. That's not just oh, push that over to the sports scientist. Like that's just not that. But I get the feeling that there's still a reluctance from some coaches to embrace that. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Uh, I mean, I saw it in my time at Yale too. Um, you know, working there, I worked with a, of quite a few coaches over the years that had been established. Right, they'd been there for 15 to 25 years. And, you know, some of them have won, had won championships without the information, right? So it's like you get into a discussion with coaches or even strength coaches, right, that had been there for a while where it's, you know, you get in discussions with them like, hey, you know, I kind of noticed this in the information. You know, what are your thoughts on it? They're like, oh, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, right? Like the, is it working is it, or is it not working, right? And then you could, you could have a discussion either way and they may not listen to you regardless, right? Um, I definitely think there is a reluctancy. Um, and I think... And to go beyond that, I think there are people that are willing to learn, right? And sometimes, and I think sometimes it does have to be packaged the right way. Um, because at the end of the day, for a strength coach, like you're in the setting, you're kind of like one of the first to be looked at as like an area of issue if a team's not performing well. So oftentimes you can go on the defense very quickly. And if you've been in that setting for a long time and you've had to go defensive, um, sometimes the presentation of data or information might be 
it might put you in that position of like, oh, I, you know, I kind of need to be defensive on what we're doing, right? So there's the apprehension there of kind of like a a learned response of kind of what what the uh, environment grows sometimes, right? And that's not every place, right? That's just some places. So, um, but I think for some coaches, um, the apprehension is definitely there, uh, whether it's uh, an unwillingness to look at the numbers or just kind of like a learned response sometimes. So I think people are people. People understand the value of information, um, and I think sometimes it just needs to be packaged correctly for some people. So not everybody does, you know, not everybody's going to look at the uh, the information the same way. So figuring out how to kind of get to through, get through to somebody to help them be a collaborator, as opposed to someone that's going to kind of uh, not necessarily undermine, but you know, look at the data and dismiss it, which which does effectively kind of mess with the messaging from someone on the sports science side, right? So yeah, interesting. Excellent. Well, I want to spend the first half. I know we've gone on for like 15 minutes there, but that's great. Some, some, some great info. Probably the first half is going to probably talk to the smaller organization, the one-man band, certainly that I've been a part of. And just get your take on, like I said before, because you've seen so many departments of various different sizes, what it takes to set up a sports science department and what you're seeing out there. What are the needs of these organizations who have the budget for one person and trying to make it make, make it work. Um, yeah, just to get your insight onto that would be a great jumping off point for us, I think. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so a lot of the kind of like one band, band uh, so to speak, organizations that I work with are either at the high school level. Um, some are at like the low kind of like D3 level of college. Um, but for the most part, it's usually a high school system with a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of athletes that partake. And in some cases, it's like a PE class where they're, you know, they're just doing regular gym. Um, and that would be just kind of like regular basic instructionals in the weight room. They're not doing anything. They're not training for performance, but they have data and information they're collecting. Um, those settings, oftentimes, it's a person wrapped up in a whirlwind, right? It's like, it's a person with, they're working 800 to 1,000 plus people. It's just them by themselves. And like, when I sit down to talk about, you know, let's walk me through your day in a life. And they're like, Oh, it's nuts. It's, it's just insane. Um, but they, they know. And if they're meeting with me, they, they see an importance in information. They want to start to look at, uh, they, they know they have certain problems they want to solve and they know they have certain things that they, they know are working and they want to highlight that. Uh, most people just don't know where to start. Right. Because they already have this overwhelming feeling of like, I have to cater to these, you know, number of people, number of athletes on a daily basis and I want to get involved in numbers, but I want to look at X, Y, and Z, but it just feels insurmountable to even start. So really what I like to do with someone for the first time is ask, ask them what is important to you, right? Like what are the things that you want to highlight and where can we start? That's going to be easiest for you to process, digest and present. So Oftentimes, when I sit down, it starts with a list of, of pieces of information that they want to look at. And for their context, I try to get them to hone in on maybe five or six pieces of information just to start. Like, what's, you know, what are those really, really valuable numbers that you have? Um, if you don't have a number associated to it, what are some things that you think are important that you're not currently looking at that we could possibly workshop on? Um, to kind of add as like a bonus variable. And then from there, I say, what do you think the people around you are going to respond to? Whether it's an athlete, coach, or admin, 
right? Because that's like kind of the three levels that a sport coach or a strength coach would work within. So what's going to be important to the athlete? How could you present it to coaches and how could you present it to admin to kind of bolster your, your profession at that spot? Um, so then we talk about how that might need to be displayed, right? Because the way I look at data, the way you look at data, the way any applied sports scientist or strength coach would look at data is going to be vastly different than someone in at administration, right? Because there's a very high likelihood if they're in administration, they probably don't, they may not have had to go through a strong math background. So how do you present information to them to make it a little bit easier right off the bat? And then you can get a little bit more advanced over time as they become more um, understanding of the information, right? Because it's almost like you have to create this broad brushstroke to get across to uh, people outside of your department to kind of get them to understand what's going on inside of the department, why we're doing it and why it's working. Right. So really identifying for someone at that individual level of what is going to be important to you. How can you showcase what's important to you, to people around you to get them to buy in as well. Right. So, and some programs start off with this, you know, base set of information that they collect and some people have more experience but they want to go a little bit further so it's just identifying what further means to them given their context because everyone needs something a little bit different right and i kind of mentioned that before but just everyone's context is going to kind of necessitate different uh values different areas of interest and kind of just identifying what that might be for that person and the people that people around them and what they want to see and respond to so if you went into an organization with, like we mentioned, the one, the, the, the classic one-man band, and this guy's getting, or girl is getting pulled from pillar to post, no time, but they understand the value of collecting some information, just don't know where to start. Where What would be your kind of place to start? Would it be subjectives? Would it be like attendance? Like what, what, what where would you go? Yeah, I, I mean, that is usually the easiest place to start. Uh, you know, just a questionnaire setting. Um, getting the attendance down is huge as well because there's always going to be the the visual representation of someone's performance, right? And if you showcase to a coach that, hey, you know, Lucy came in five times over the past, like, three months, but Sarah came in three times a week for the past three months, and, like, you can – we've had discussions previously about this person's performance increasing quite a bit. And this person has kind of just stayed the same. Maybe they're a key player. You know, maybe the person that comes in five times over three months is a key player, but the person that came in three times a week over five months might be performing just better, you know, just tracking attendance, like a simple metric like that, but just having a conversation of like, where do you think these people are now, as opposed to previously, like the beginning of the off season or the beginning of the season and where they, they kind of develop. Maybe one player got most, Maybe one player won an award throughout the season of just most developed, right? And then you go back and look at that person and be like, that person actually attended the most. So if we want more development out of everybody else, this person that, you know, became, you know, went from effectively not so great to pretty good to winning an award. Like, let's look at what that person did and how can we model that to everybody else? Like, hey, sure, this person may have started at a lower point, but like their ability to raise their ceiling um, or get to their ceiling is at a a reasonable manner happened over the course of a season. And this is how they did it. Right. So tracking something like attendance or like subjective data where they, you know, I always like uh, sport related RPE, like practice 
um that gives you a good indicator of like what the coach is doing also lift related rpe where you could be like you could go to a coach and say hey our lift was supposed to be easy today and you said practice was supposed to be easy but both of these numbers are not kind of lining up like what what are we doing right like what's going on here is it is it my lift is in fact you know uh making practice a little bit more difficult or is it the other way around where practice is too difficult they're now finding that the easy lift is too hard because they're too fatigued coming into the lift right so you can have those conversations um based on that those pieces of information that's relatively easy to collect right like if you have a platform like team builder you have questionnaires embedded but if you don't you know google form that people come in and sign in on that that gets your attendance and it gets kind of your subjective data there right so there's there's ways that you could implement something along those lines um if you don't have the current means right so and i suppose just that explanation there of attendance you don't need fancy tech for that you don't need to spend thousands of thousands of dollars i mean you're mentioning software like yours that's obviously the subscription but google sheets is free as long as you've got a a, a, G, uh, a google account things can be set up with a few you know youtube sheets youtube tutorials it doesn't have to be about the tech and i think that's pretty something that leads me on to my next point where sports science is often you're the tech guy you run the gps you run the rpes you run the you know what you know jump data or whatever it is and you just become someone that is is viewed as someone that sits behind the computer and we are at the club i was as it was at the sports scientist was, I can't remember the, the nickname the coach used to give them, pretty couldn't say it, but it was derogatory to a guy that sits behind a desk. You're that guy. And that just like, just puts them at the kind of bottom of the, the bottom rung of the ladder. Uh, and that's a shame because it's not that. But is that the same in the US that sports science can often be, all the sports scientists can just be the tech guy? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I... Uh, at Yale, I was definitely the first one asked about any sort of technology, um, which is nice um, in some regard, because oftentimes, I mean, even we saw it, like oftentimes, like different teams will use different tech and then it just becomes like a, a three-headed monster of just like what technology people are using. Um, and it's for the same purpose, right? So it's it gets really fuzzy. Um, but I think it, at some levels, probably, yeah. You're, you're kind of just the you're relegated to the tech and the data and like you know you, you may not step foot in the weight room you may not step foot on the practice field um you may you definitely you certainly might you know walk out to a practice field and kind of just hang out you know make sure everything's kind of running smoothly but um i think right now like i said transitions at the like the larger level you might get people that are coming in with just a very data intensive background and not like a huge sports sided background um, and that could be where that whole kind of viewpoint comes along eventually down the road, uh, because most people that go into sports science have an applied background in strength and conditioning. It seems, at least from, from my experience in the past few years, uh, people kind of either fall into it, they were interested in it, and they kind of like wanted to pursue it in tangent with their, their current kind of career or education. So I, I think they're, they're definitely are probably cases where people are just like just the tech person and like that's how they're viewed and like they'll bring up numbers and they're like oh you know it's you know we you either so i mean sometimes you might i don't know if you guys see it too much in um in europe but you know sometimes like if you're not if you were never involved with the sport in any capacity it's like you may bring something up and they're like oh you didn't play 
or like yeah, you know, it's and it's awesome. it's yeah, yeah. it's sure you like you you might have the best intentions with the data, and you might have a, a very a very solid argument with the information you have. Um, but sometimes you get those remarks of like, oh, you know, you, you didn't you don't know what the game's like. So it's you definitely get that. Yeah, I think it, certainly when when I was involved in in full full time uh, in full time position, it was almost as if it was derogatory because that person should be more practical, but they're still behind a, they're still behind a computer. Whereas I, from my interpretation now is that because you've got bigger departments, because you've got solely tech people, everyone knows that, well, they are the tech guy. Like that's just a given because we have a guy now, but he doesn't necessarily always, he's not, you know, front facing with the coach. That's the more practical guy. And you have this kind of division, whereas before it was mingled in, it was like, oh, who's this guy? We've kind of come from this very practical setting where everyone's a coach and now you've got a computer. Um, so yeah, that that's just my interpretation. But we definitely do get it. And I think it's it's slowly breaking down like a football guy or a rugby guy or a cricket guy or whatever it is. I think there's now there's so much kind of intertwined within staff like staff moving from one sport to the next i think that's disappearing you haven't got so much of the football guy anymore or the rugby guy um, which i think is a really good thing yeah i i, I totally agree because i mean at, at the end of the day and I've, I've worked with so many different sports whether it be a rotational sport like you know uh a softball or even just like a standalone sport like football uh, i've worked with rugby previously too so i've kind of seen the the, the differences between obviously like american football and then rugby um, and and how the capacities are different for those sports so it's it's interesting to get like a good scope but i think at the end of the day like if you're coming at it with an approach of you know i want to analyze this sport and you're like a data guy oftentimes you're going to sit down and try to like break everything down to the finest movement and i think you'll f you'll see the transition between sports is much more it's much smoother than i think a lot of people perceive it to be um from a pure analytic standpoint, because you start to, you slowly start to pick away at like what's important for that sport and how you can apply a number to that and then identify that to the rest of the staff. And I think that's, that's always a key component to someone coming on staff that is a, you know, looking to be a sports scientist or is uh, currently practicing is, is identifying what's important to that sport. And then just like breaking it down to like a granular level, granular level where you can identify what number can be associated with either that movement, that production, and then attacking it from there to say like, Hey, like this is, these are the metrics that we want to start to key in on. Um, whether we've done it before or not, like here's my findings. Let's talk about that. Right. Cause I think that's the most important part of data and presentation and visualization is it's, it's a gateway to a conversation that could lead to either an answer or an action item. So I think that's always, and I, and I think the transition between sports is great because it gives you a broader scope because you might find certain things from one sport, actually translate really well to another sport that people aren't even looking at or thinking about. And I think it's so important. Yeah, I agree. So when it comes to the small organizations that you've worked with, whether it be high schools, colleges, what are some gaps that are kind of easily plugged? I mean, we've, we've mentioned, we've mentioned a couple, but is there anything else out there that you've seen that is kind of, you said time and time and time again, that people could take on board? Yeah, I, I think, and it's, it sound it might sound silly, but having just like a standard, set procedure or practice of like testing and testing collection um, or testing data collection. I think oftentimes it's, 
people want to compare things and they don't have anything to compare um, or it's just not lined up in a way to compare. Um, so if you're, you know, if you want to start or if you want to analyze things on a, on a monthly, weekly, uh, you know, uh, semesterly basis, like quarterly basis of a year, have a procedure and it doesn't have to be anything like, you know, super, super intricate. It could be like every third uh, week of, you know, March, we're going to test, right? Like it's just, you have to have kind of like a baseline understanding of when you're going to collect the information, what information you're going to collect and how you're going to, or what, what information you're going to compare that to, to kind of get an answer. Right. So I think oftentimes people want to just compare to compare. And I don't know if it's one-to-one always. And I, and I always try to say like, you know, if you're looking at one metric, make sure you're looking at it in the same circumstances or conditions, right? Like it's, you might run a 40 outside on pavement, but then if you compare it to a 40 on turf three months later, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, so if you're going to, if you're going to run testing, make sure the testing is comparable and it makes sense. And it's almost one-to-one, uh, but also make sure that you're, you have time set aside to collect that information because it's, that's important, right? We, we would have, uh, yeah, we would have probably three to four, depending on the team, three to four testing dates within a semester, uh, depending on the team's demand, right? So during a spring semester from January to May, I would test the soccer team three times. When they got when they got in for semester, even though we tested in December before they left, I only gave them a month. I wanted to see what happened over the break, right? So we would go January, we would go just before spring break, and then we would go just before summer break. And I told, I sat down with the coach before and I said, these are the days I need to test. And these, this is the information I'm collecting. And this is why. So having a standard set of data to collect and a time in mind. Um, and it wasn't always the same thing each test. Like in, in between, it was mostly just athletic testing. At the two ends of the semester, beginning and end, it was mostly strength and athletic. Uh, so I needed a couple days to test that. But having an idea of what you're going to text, what team, and if you're a one-man show, like set aside like two weeks and just have rolling testing if you'd like, or set it up like if you have team lifts, like set it up like, you know, football is going Monday, volleyball is going Tuesday, soccer is going Wednesday, right? Like have an idea of when you're going to test, what you're going to test, how you're going to test, and explain why to coaches that's important, right? And it doesn't have to be super fancy, right? It could be one, you could be testing one thing. And if that's like your bread and butter and that's the thing you live and die by, like go for it, roll with it. Cause sometimes one thing is better than nothing. And one thing that you really, really love and you can dedicate is way better than having 45 things that you kind of half put your heart in. So I think that's, that's totally important with, uh, you know, a single, a single person show. Would you have operating procedures? Uh, and that the, the, yeah, yeah. the reason I asked that is, I mean, one thing that I took on board from a, um, a book called the checklist manifesto don't know if you've um if you've read or heard of that but it's basically looks at the checklist from doctors from pilots from you know various different industries and how they basically they run their day through going through checklists like you'll if you're going for an operation you'll hear them go through we've done this done this done this and through mistakes the checklist will evolve and i use checklist for the podcast for just because i know i'm going to forget something so it just has to be boom, 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 tick it off. And I'm, I'm kind of there. Would that be a similar situation with, I don't know, jump data or 
collecting RPEs or whatever it is, would you suggest that to small organizations when it comes to testing? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think, so for me, testing day is always this. Everybody shows up. Um, we we instilled this pretty early. Like everyone shows up at least five minutes early. Some teams were 10 minutes early, right? During that span for testing, uh, they would come in and weigh in, right? That, that would be their weigh in because we would collect jump data. We would get a power score off that usually. Um, so their first thing, they would come in and weigh in. Uh, at the zero mark, the zero hour mark, the, the, the start, we would go warm up, right? We'd warm up for about five to seven minutes, okay? And then we would go into our vert testing. Everyone would vert test right in, right in the beginning. So we would do that. Uh, after everyone is complete, I would not let anybody else do another test until the rest of the team was complete because testing for me was a team. It was a, it was a team event, right? It was, everyone was not necessarily competing against each other. They were competing against themselves, but as a team, we wanted to move the needle. We wanted to go forward. Right. So I wanted everybody kind of be involved in whatever test we were doing. So we would do vert testing. We would wait, we would go 10 yards. We would do a 10 yard dash, uh, given the space we had 10 yards was most efficient. Um, and then after that, we would do a pro agility of five ten five. So that would generally lay out a lay out about for the soccer team. It would give us about ten to fifteen minutes of test, right? For everyone to get at least three good solid attempts at. If people were doing well, they they had a hot hand. I'd let them go for more, right? Because that's just that's just what it is. Um, but it would, it would work out like that. And it wouldn't really deviate outside of that. Right. Like that was, that was my process. If we had another team testing, we might have to switch like the pro agility with the 10 yard in when we would, you know, when in the, the testing hour we would run it. But outside of that, I mean, it was, it was mostly like way in warm up, vert 10 pro and they were gone and we could, we could set it up like an assembly line if we really needed to. Right. Like, it's just like, that's where you, if we needed to roll people in, we could, but I think, having just a standard set in mind of like, this is how we test. This is when we test. This is why, uh, that'll definitely, you know, give you a lot of, I guess, not necessarily a lot of uh, power, but it'll give you a lot of direction, right. Of, of how to do things and, and why you're doing them. So I think having some sort of uh, procedure in mind like that doesn't have to be one-to-one, -one, right. It could be that like you just come in and run one test. Like these are the number of, it could be for strength testing. Like we would come in, we would do the same kind of similar thing. We'd warm up, we'd warm up a little longer. And then every person had the same sets rep scheme and they were allowed to go for like, you know, a, a maximal effort at some point during that hour. But it was, it had to be watched by a coach. It had to be, you know, it had to be after all your, your warm sets. We had to kind of like watch a couple of warmups just to make sure you're moving right. I think having some sort of idea in mind of like what, how a testing day is going to look and, and it could be a checklist. Um, it could just be a list of like, this is how we're going to run it of like, these are like the, the main principles I want to like hit, which would effectively be a checklist. So <laughs> it would be, that's having something in mind of how a day should run is, is super important for sure. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Tofi. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around larger organizations, the gaps that exist that could be easily plugged that Tofi has come across and building a sports science department from the ground up within a large organization. So at part two, I'm sure you'll really enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. 
Kidman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kidman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they have architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. Also sponsoring this episode is Rewire Fitness. While we all know it's important to develop athletes' mental skills, it's often challenging for coaches to figure out how to apply these strategies. So Rewire Fitness is the ultimate coaching solution for helping athletes develop their mental fitness and gain an advantage over competition. The platform integrates evidence-based tools backed by neuroscience and sports psychology, as well as protocols used by NASA and the Navy SEALs to help athletes enhance mental performance and improve readiness, recovery, and resilience. With daily insights into each athlete's readiness, you can identify trends, prevent overtraining, and make informed recommendations with ease, resulting in improved team performance. And they have the data to back it up. Typically, their users reduce their self-related stress by 70%, feel 30% more focused, and feel 30% more ready for performance with just five to 10 minutes of use each day. By implementing Rewire in your coaching practice, you can also support a culture of health and wellness proactively working to prevent athlete burnout and overtraining. Prioritizing mental wellness and performance is key to success of any team and Rewire Fitness is the solution to achieve it. Learn more and schedule a demo at rewirefitness.app forward slash Pacey. And now back to the episode with Tofi. Right, second half of the podcast, <clears throat> want to move on to developing a sports science department. So not establishing one, but developing one. So again, I'm going to come, kind of come back to the uh, similar things, but when you've been to larger organizations, is there any common gaps that you see? You'd have to mention any people, any organization ne- organizations names, but any potential gaps that come up time and time again that practitioners can be aware of and then plug? Yeah, I think getting, I think getting everyone on the same page is going to be huge. Um, something that we would often do in in my time at Yale and I think it's it's super super important is we would have a um beginning of off season meeting with the team uh but we would also regularly meet with all the coaches involved too so we would kind of present what we were doing why we were doing it what information we were looking to collect if there was any changes to things that we were looking at um almost kind of just like laying it out for them of this is where your sport is you know what your team has been doing this is where we see it going in the next three to five months. This is how we're going to do that. And this is the information we're going to collect to ensure that your progress is met. So I think oftentimes I hear that, you know, we may not like, oh, we don't really have much of a relationship. Oh, we kind of only meet with them once a month. Oh, we, you know, I think like running a department or running kind of an athletics organization takes a lot of work. It it does. It always does. And I, the more that 
these sports scientists can communicate with everyone on a regular basis, or at least just like send checkups of like, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Hey, we found this. This is why we think it's important. Either let's meet to talk about it, or can we get some feedback on what this possibly could do for your team and why we think it's important so we can move forward with it or we can table it. Um, I th because sports science is ever, uh, you know, ever, ever advancing and ever evolving. So you're going to come across things that work really well that you didn't know were could even fit in the sport, but you're also going to come across things that like you thought might've worked really well and maybe aren't panning out. So a consistent update and just like communication across departments is so vitally important because I think one of the things that we would always say is like, don't go to a meeting with a surprise. Like, don't just show up and be like, Hey, we found this brand new thing. Like, let's talk about it right now. And then everyone's like, I've never heard of this before. Like, how are we going to talk about it in this 30 minute meeting we had blocked off or a presentation that you're showing us right now. I think consistent communication of what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it. And it doesn't always have to be like that cut and dry, like just some checkups here and there. I think that's, that's super important. Um, a consistent dialogue and, and, and how and being in a framework that supports that on a regular basis is important too, because that's that's from the top down, right? So, um, you know, communication, communication, communication. I know a lot of people always say it, but small small things here and there go a long way. And I think oftentimes that that's the gap that needs to be consistently filled. And how you do that is is key too. So, interesting. Again, something that I probably wasn't expecting. I was expecting a I don't know. And probably like other people, a technology or I don't know, like that's probably the way it'll always seem to go, like something to, to fix an issue. But it's more, it's probably more difficult and complex when it comes to communication um, because it actually involves two humans or multiple humans, which is why, like you said, it's hard work running an athletic department or being involved in an athletic department. But is there any common concerns? Again, another question I asked about the small organizations, but any common concerns that come up? with large organizations and I, I to talk on kind of like the what you where you thought about it went with like the tech pieces yeah it's always like what tech can we bring in that's going to make us better of right course, you know what i mean course. so i think that's you give a much more interesting answer <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah. that's that is important right but i think again like when you look to bring on tech and like what tech is being used out there you kind of have to like you have to sit down as an organization and i think this is where it kind of comes back to our, your previous kind of talking point like oh they're the tech guy right they're the tech person let's go to them and i'm just gonna sh like say hey set up a meeting with this technology company you know you're the only one sitting on it like talk to them for a little bit i think when you're approaching as an apartment especially a large organization it should it it should be a little bit more involved than just a one-person show right it should be it should be a departmental approach to why you're taking on that tech, what, how that's going to be used on a daily basis, why it's going to be used. I think oftentimes you'll see people spring into a decision to bring on tech and then it sometimes maybe it just sits, right? I think having that, and this goes back to communication, why I think this is super, super important. It's like, if, if we have an idea to bring it on, like, let's talk about how we're going to use it first, why we're going to use it. Let's, let's get a few people on this meeting to figure out, is it applicable for us? How important is it for us to bring this on and what we can do with this, right? Because I think more information and having, you know, bringing on new information and more information is important, but how it's 
action, how it's used in action and how applicable it is, is the kind of the pinnacle, right? Like that's what you want to identify and make sure that you're going to be using the most out of it to get the most information you can out of it and identifying what information from that piece of tech is going to be pertinent to you, your context, your sport, the people you work with. So I think there could be a larger departmental approach on a regular basis to the, you know, kind of inception or bringing on new tech to a department. Uh, because I think oftentimes it's put on one person and the person that wanted to buy it wasn't involved in the process necessarily. And then you go to present them the information like, oh, this is useless, you know, or like, oh, why is this important? It's like, well, we, we talked about that three months ago when we bought it. Like, <laughs> let's let's make sure we're on the same page here. So I think off, oftentimes that's that's one of the big things. It's interesting because that was almost what you described there was almost like a semi-sales tactic when I was working at Catapult was how can we get that technology and get that, not only the the performance department bought into it, but the medical, the analysis, because from a business point of view, the more people who are dependent on it, the less likely it is to be misused or binned or, you know, one person leaves and it, the whole thing crumbles but from a, an organizational point of view, that's again, that's that's a good thing from a business point of view, but good thing from an organization point of view that it's across departments versus just one department or even worse, one person who ends up leaving and just get, gathers dust. A hundred percent. You see, you see it a lot, right? You do, and it's it's one of it's it's one of those things, and it's a, if you want to be a well-oiled machine everyone kind of has to move in the right direction, right? People kind of like flare off in different directions, but if everyone's kind of moving in the same, you know, the same direction with a head of steam, like you can easily pull those people back, right? If you're intentionally or unintentionally pushing one person to the side to say like, this is your, this is your project. This is your baby. This has nothing to do with us anymore. It's going to be harder to have conversations when, you know, certain pieces of information come up, from a technology standpoint or a data standpoint using something that they purchased. Right. So it's, I mean, it's, if you're going to go in on something, go in with the intention that everyone's going to use it. I think that's super, super important. And trying to echo that as someone that is an applied sports scientist or someone that works in that setting of saying like, Hey, if we're going to use this, I want to like, let's roadmap a way that everyone kind of has their own slice of the pie. And it may be just like one, one department has one metric that they focus on. They're not focusing on everything else, but it's like, how can that person utilize this one thing using this piece of tech we're bringing on and let's make it important to them. I think as a sports scientist, you kind of have to be a problem solver. And sometimes you have to take on the role of being a diplomat of, you know, kind of bringing in people together to be like, this is why we're using it. This is how you as a department can use this piece of information. And this is how it couples with what we're doing here on this department. Right. And this is how this is going to affect the systemic overview of it. So I think, I think that's, that can be something, a role that like people can take on that maybe, you know, a sports scientist doesn't think about, but you almost kind of can be a diplomat of like, this is how we're going to, you know, make sure this is implemented in our systems across different departments. I think it's, it can be, I mean, that's vitally important, right? So the next couple of questions I've got for you, probably along the same lines, but from a, from a um, human resource perspective, from a, from a staff perspective, what do you think are the roles that are going to, become more in demand as we go into the next five, 10 years from a sports science department? Is it the pure data guys, like which seems an obvious kind of way things would go, but is there anything else? Or is that right? Am I completely off off track there? I think you're going to, I think the department as a whole is going to shift into its own kind of like entity, kind of like how strength and conditioning is, right? 
um, where it's going to be mostly just data heavy, kind of like you said, but I think you need the people in place to be able to interpret and present that data too. Um, Cause it's not just enough to be a data person in a field like, uh, you know, sports performance and strength and conditioning and, and athletics. You have to be a people person too. You have to have the soft skills of being like, this is what the information is. And like, this is how it's going to be utilized. I think getting through to a coach, a sport coach, a strength coach in a department is, is vitally important. And the numbers do speak for themselves, but you have to speak for the numbers too, to get them across sometimes. Right. Cause like we, in the very beginning, we talked about how not everyone's receptive to data and information. You can certainly change their viewpoints. It has to be just done in the right way and identifying how to do that is important. Um, so I think having, I think over the next five years, you'll start to see departments of sports science grow. But I think the, the important thing not to leave out is having either someone on staff or the person on staff has to have some sort of soft skills where it's not just data driven. Like these are the numbers, these are the numbers, these are the numbers, because that could, that can get mundane. Right. I think oftentimes when I bring up that I work with numbers to people, they're like, Oh, you're a numbers guy. And then it's, it's just kind of is what it is. Right. Um, so I think having, having that in your back pocket of knowing that like you, you're going to need people on staff or a person on staff that can conceptualize the information, but also present the information in a way that's not, uh, overly, overly drawn out or too much to consume for, for, a broad group of people at any given point, certain people, you can definitely file it in on other people. You might have to scale it back and just knowing who that is that you're presenting it to. So leaving the, the human side, the human resource side, the, the staff, the side sports science as a whole, where do you think things are shifting next five or 10 years, whether it be tech, whether it be influences, where do you think things are going? Yeah, I think, force plates are really interesting to me and I and I know that's they're becoming more ubiquitous and a lot of programs are starting to kind of use those. I think using those on a regular basis in a, an applied setting is going to lead to a lot of interesting things. Um, I think that's it's there's so much information that you can get out of those things and being able to sit down and, and trudge through that to like identify the information is, is going to be vitally important. Um, that's that's huge. I think the more and more I think, I think GPS is always going to be kind of a giant staple. I don't think that'll ever go away. And just being able to kind of determine more and more what sports dictate certain uses of those, right? Certain pieces of information that come from those units and how those can be applied on a regular basis. I think you'll start to find more. I think we're at a pretty good, a pretty comfortable setting, but I think um, you might find those like fine tuned things that people didn't necessarily look at five, 10 years ago start to like really kind of become more popularized and more people will start to use it on a regular basis as opposed to just a few people looking at those things right now. Um, whether it be how to utilize that to really, really hone in on what a practice should look like, right? You're almost like fully developing practice plans off that. I think that could, a lot of people do certainly use it in that fashion, but I think getting a better understanding of, of how it can actively, um, translate to drill progression for certain positions or certain players that are in a position group that may not be up to par with the rest of the team. I think you'll start to see more and more use like that. Um, I think those two, those two things, I mean, they give you the most amount of information I would say right now as pieces of tech, you know, just looking from a pure number standpoint, the amount of information that's transferred. Um, those two pieces are, are only going to drive people's understanding of sport performance and how the body responds to stressors 
like practice games and otherwise, because a force plate in in conjunction with a GPS unit gives you pretty much a whole scope, right? Because you can go through, you can see the load during a game, during a practice, and then as soon as they step off the field, if you have them jump on a force plate before and after, you can see physiologically what happens in real time too, to that person's power decrement, to that person's ability to produce force, to that person's kind of ability to land and absorb force, right? So I think there's there's a lot of things that can be done, and I think people are starting to do those things in conjunction with each other. But I think you're going to get uh, pretty soon. We're going to get a, a pretty holistic picture of what goes on during an event, during a practice, during a game, um, from a load standpoint, but also just like a neurological capacity of just like a, being able to absorb, produce, and and handle forces and stressors. So, great insight. Love it. Like I say, I think it's a unique perspective that you have given how many people you speak to and how many departments you'll enter into and have discussions with. So I'm sure you're a valuable resource to them. So I'm, uh, I'm really pleased to get you on and uh, and share the knowledge. But Sophie, if anyone wants to reach out to you on social media, are you a social media guy? Yeah, I have an Instagram. Um, I don't have a Twitter. <laughs> I have. Okay. Uh, um, if you want to reach me, you can reach me through email. Um, it's Tofi at uh, teambuilder.com. Um, but, uh, my handle on Instagram is tease of Nikki. It's, it's, uh, if, if the names, I'm sure my name will pop up here. So tease of Nikki on Instagram, it's, it, it should be easy to find. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you very much. I'll let you crack on with your day and, uh, look forward to keeping in touch and, uh, yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 438 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Tofi for giving up his time, sharing his knowledge, sharing his experience of going around many, many organizations, both large and small, and giving us the insights, giving us the unique perspective of what's going on out there. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Team Builder, Play, Kitman Labs, and Rewire Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in. I look forward to chatting to you next week. Bye.